Hey, welcome to episode 49 of the Thodcast. I'm your host, Philip, coming to you from northern Minnesota. And I am joined today by my brother, uh, Dawson. Hey, how's it going? Hey, it's good. Coming at you from southern, relative yeah. to you, Minnesota. From, uh, from the Twin Cities area. The wonderful so, yeah. city of St. Paul. That's right. Uh, how's it going today? It's going good. Uh, are we talking Avatar, Philip? Getting right into it. <laughs> I don't want to waste time. I don't. I do. I what? Small talk on the podcast. People didn't come here to find out about how beautiful St. Paul is or Northern Minnesota. They're here to hear us talk about Avatar. We are hashtag the two brothers. We are the only two brothers to host. Sorry, I'm stealing bits from another podcast. You steal all the bits. I shouldn't uh, plagiarize. Yeah, this is a no bits pro ships podcast. Pro ships. It's helpful (laughs) if you're like me and don't listen to podcasts, then you can't steal anything. That's true. All right. Speaking of ships, we are talking about Avatar The Last Airbender, and uh, we can riff all day on Avatar The Last Airbender, can't we, Dawson? We can. I, however, am not like prepared this was a pretty spontaneous discussion uh i would like to say that i'm always ready to have an ad nauseum deep and thoughtful analytical discussion on avatar the last airbender but my brain is rotting due to alcohol these days so i i've got i've got what i've got at short notice last time i watched the show all the way through we probably finished um, I think it was pre-COVID actually, uh, okay. but my wife and I watched through the entire series in relatively short time. She, it was her first viewing and like everyone else in the world, adored it and does revere it and believe it to be one of the, one of the best shows ever made. That's right. We're interrupting this COVID season with a return to the Thodcast after, gosh, way too long. Uh, the last movie I saw in theaters, I believe, was Onward and that was our last Same. episode. So. We're hoping to get back into things. Um, we should be coming out with a review on Mulan shortly, uh, but I think in keeping with uh, similar theming, uh, it seems appropriate that we'd be talking about Avatar The Last Airbender. It seems to be the thing that's on everybody's mind lately. Uh, and why is that, Dawson? Uh, because it's on Netflix again, while, every, while many people are at home, and um, now people are finally watching uh broadly um the almighty netflix yes and it has been on netflix before that's when we actually watched it back in high school so probably six seven eight years ago now was when i first watched through avatar the last airbender and it was on netflix um but now it just i don't know people are looking for people are looking for good things which is hard to find uh (laughs) probably across streaming services and there's a lot of people who watch a crap ton of tv and movies or and so they've like seen everything mm-hmm. and then here's the show from 2005 2006 shows up and and here we are so like <laughs> it's, it's not viral. it's not hipster anymore uh to like avatar um and i yeah so how does that make you feel uh good i'm i'm like where's everybody been it's been 13 or 12 years uh it went off the air in 2008 or you know stopped uh, airing new episodes um it's a 15 15 year old series uh but of course they came out with the sequel legend of Korra in uh, 2012 of uh, man the timeline's so confusing uh 2013 maybe 
Um, uh, yeah, I think I think it was my senior year high school, so 2013. 2013. Um, and yeah, the uh, first time I saw Avatar: the Last Airbender was my graduating year of high school, 2010. So it's been 10 years. Uh, that, that was exactly a decade ago that we uh, we were watching through the series for the first because time. Because this is how watching Avatar goes for most people is mm -hmm. Samar and I were watching it and then yeah. you waddled on by and we're like, what's this dumb Nickelodeon show? Mm -hmm. And then you kept watching and kept watching. Um, and a lot of people I talked to, you know, who had t TV watched Nickelodeon a lot. Um, like from my wife and my brother-in-law and others, uh, friends, they were like, yeah, I mean, uh, I was maybe saw like a parts of episodes of Avatar while it was on Nickelodeon, but it was usually like before SpongeBob or after SpongeBob or uh, Jimmy Neutron or the Fairly Odd Parents. Um, and they re people remember ads for certain episodes more than they remember episodes, like mm -hmm. coming up the climactic finale of their Selzen's Comet part one, two and three. Um, well, it yeah. interrupted their SpongeBob, so <laughs> it doesn't make for the greatest episodic viewing either. Like I had seen little bits and pieces of the show, just individual episodes prior to like the full watch through while I was on the air, and like I wasn't impressed at all. I and mean, it was just kind of a dumb kid show that you know had some funny moments, but like I didn't know what was going on, and you know I didn't have much context for the rest of the series. So it, it works much better as a serial viewing right. experience. Right. You don't know that a timeless epic poem is unfolding before your eyes when you only catch mm -hmm. glimpses. Yeah, I was listening to some commentators talk about it recently, and one of them was like, yeah, I, I was kind of turned off by the show because every time like I happened upon it while channel surfing, you know, that was something we used to do of a certain generation, you'll remember. Yeah. But like uh, <laughs> every time... I flipped to that channel like it was just the swamp episode and it was like <laughs> murky some, bald, and some bald kid plant. in a swamp episode like <laughs> yeah it was always the same and that seems to be how it goes it's like you, you, for whatever reason you always have this one particular memory that keeps popping up <laughs> it's, it's the the bottom meinhof thing and i wanted always wanted to watch it because I had a couple of friends in elementary school who were following it and really liked it. And I love the idea of the magic system. Um, but the memory, the marketing memory that I had in my mind, cause we didn't have TV, but I would see, I saw a tough episode once at like a friend's house or something. And, you know, Know, they here's this character and she looks really cool then they reveal she's blind then she's this powerful and that showed her earth bending with from her blindness and so that character just stuck with me as a mm -hmm. child all the way up until we got netflix and then there's avatar holy cow mm -hmm. finally let's watch this thing <laughs> yeah yeah great concept for a character i mean really dig dives into the um i, I guess sensory aspect of the the magic system and and almost the monastic qualities of becoming a bender and how you know it it really takes a lot of dedication and practice and the top character being blind you know she relied on this extra sense that she had to be able to manipulate the uh the earth element to yes. compensate for her lack of one of her main senses um and and also scratches off the criteria of having a character with a disability <laughs> in a kid show uh so 
There's well, no that was, and but that and that was before I think the idea of scratching something off. I think Toph was just she was such an inspired character creation and 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 a beautiful character that they with a really compelling just background and story. Um, mm-hmm. Her opening episode is. Um, well, I, yeah, I mean that's yeah, the that's best way. It's as compelling as it gets in the sort of Harry Potter sense where here's this child, even though she's born into a wealthy family, she is oppressed, like mm-hmm. suppressed and um, talked down to. And, you know, her parents, even though they're her birth parents, they, mm-hmm. fulf- they fill that sort of wicked step parent role. Um, and they, they don't know who she is and what she's capable of um, because they refuse to see it. Um, yeah. And so you see a character rise above their circumstances mm-hmm. and make really interesting choices and you know not even get and then she doesn't get along with the protagonist right away so there's all sorts of like everything about a character is probably ends up being a cause for conflict and resolution and ingenuity all the way throughout the show and yeah like you said with her blindness um that that it affected the way she learned air bent or earth bending the magic system the bending system in avatar is so cool because you even though there, there's, a, there's rules and techniques that are established, there's always discovery that, that characters make, that you can make with the bending depending on your circumstances. And that's how people develop really interesting and unique styles. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can think of a, a few cases. Are we talking, where are we worried about spoilers or anything like that? Um, well, no, I, I think um, as far as spoilers go, um, just, I, I, I would say, we're liable to go into full spoilers, but uh, we'll try to use some discretion. So like, if you haven't seen it, hopefully you'll forget what we've said <laughs> and we'll try to be a little bit vague, but uh, be as detailed as you need to be. Yeah. Well, just to, to finish that thought. Um, so Toph develops, you know, a very refined uh, and extremely potent form of earth bending by relying fully on her, her, textile senses mm-hmm. if that's the way of saying it her sense mm-hmm. of touch and feeling the earth yeah. beneath her feet um and then contrast to like commander zhao in the first season who his firebending is pure aggression pure brawn pure conquering and then you have in the same episode the firebender who has like forsaken firebending because he it's supposed to be this yeah. element of zhang zhang uh, yeah zhang zhang this element of um comfort and beauty and and power but with you know you have to really respect that and then there's a waterbending character and waterbending is supposed to be the healing the peaceful the uh beautiful element the versatile element and then there is a character in the series who finds it particularly because she's in very difficult circumstances she discovers and creates this new form of waterbending that's possibly the the most vile (laughs) use of bending ever like depicted in the show and yeah that's the stuff that happens throughout the entire series that you just, mm-hmm. you can't stop watching once you start. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Toph Beifang, perfect microcosm for the entire series. You know, that the one character who's not introduced until the second series or second season. Um, and then, yeah, like it really takes and analyzes how the different forms of bending can be uh, twisted in perverse ways. Um, and, and yeah, the, it doesn't, it doesn't seek to um, stereotype a specific kind of bending as 
good or bad either. Because you watch, yeah. you watch people in their world do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do that sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. And then mm-hmm. there are other characters in the world who are like, no, you know, don't like, you know, it's like, I think we go in as an audience. Ooh, fire nation. <laughs> oh, they've got to be the bad guys. And of course they are, but realizing more and more along the way that it doesn't, there's by no means does it have to be this way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Well, um, exceptionally complex series uh i remember the first episode i saw i think was that avatar day episode kind of a sillier one (laughs) (laughs) one of the more notable appearances of actor james hong in the series uh avatar he's probably done a couple roles in the series i yeah i think you hear him uh, a few times he's from he's minnesotan actually he was raised in minnesota he might have been born in china um, and, and then he was raised partially in China as well. Um, but I th- he, he spent some of his childhood here in, in Minnesota. Of course, now he's gotten, he's one of the most prolific actors in Hollywood. Uh, I've been seeing him pop up like in the news recently because I think he's getting like a star on the Walk of Fame or something. He's in his really? 90s, of course. Yeah. He's in his 90s? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was he oh Ping God. from uh, Kung Fu Panda? Uh, is that the, the name of Poe's father? Poe's father, Ping, perhaps. Ping? Or is, is, and Ping is not his name in Mulan. He's the, the advisor, probably a eunuch in <laughs> technically. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, if we're going to be. They don't get into that, but. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, stay tuned. <laughs> but no, I, I uh, yeah, I have to, we'll have to watch closely in Mulan for any. Uh, He's got the hat, I recall. He's got the yeah. eunuch hat. <laughs> yeah, I think he does like women, uh, or there's like a line or something that implies, but who knows? It, it could just be like the touch of a woman because I'm <laughs> old and lonely. Um, <laughs> let's see. Uh, Avatar, The Last Airbender, uh, yeah, debuted, I think, February of 2005. Uh, final series uh, episode aired in. I think spring 2008 or May, um, created by Michael Dante DiMartino and Brian Kanetsko. Um, and yeah, has the series follow-up The Legend of Korra that's also now on Netflix that's set 70 years after Avatar. Uh, of course, in the timeline of the world since Avatar uh, concluded, we've since had uh, James Cameron's Avatar, adding a whole wrinkle in 2009. And then in 2010, of course, the big bomber, <laughs> the big daddy, uh, the <laughs> infamous adaptation by M. Night Shyamalan feature film. It probably cost uh, close to $200 million to make or maybe $150 million. It was a, a big blockbuster. It made a whole bunch of money at the box office too, but critically reviled uh, by, by critics and fans alike. So uh, no sequels to that uh, since then. And now we're looking at uh, Netflix reviving the show in live action sometime in the near future. I know COVID has put a complication to that. Uh, yeah, any, any- On the context? movie, real quick, did we not finish this, the, our first viewing of the series? We watched the finale, Substance Comics part one, two, and three, the mm-hmm. day we saw the film or 
what was the timeline? <laughs> it was a really dramatic, yeah. really interesting timeline. No, I, th- I think we actually were not even done with the first season when we saw the movie. Is mm. that correct? Mm, I, oh, I, wait. I, don't, I don't think we even saw the last two we episodes. Saw, okay, so I then we, I, I, boy, I, I think you're wrong because I think I remember going to the movie and wondering if Aang was going to turn into a big blue fish. And yeah. then he doesn't turn into a big blue fish. But I remember thinking that the big blue fish, it, like of everything in Avatar that is perfect and beautiful, like that big blue fish just kind of looks silly. Um, mm. It's amazing. What he does and everything that happens is amazing. I maybe would have gone with more dragon-esque design than like penguin-esque design, but I guess mm. Aang, maybe that reflects his personality. Um, no, I want to say we had like the finale. Maybe we had the finale episode okay. left. And then, so we go to the movie and we're like, horrified because we had been so thrilled to like see the movie and then finish the show and you know this bright future was ahead of avatar because we were going to get more iterations of it and then we like well that's over but hey at least we still got the show to finish up and then we yeah yeah okay that i we probably had seen the the entire first season i but yeah we definitely weren't fully finished with the show and uh, yeah, lots of differences in the film, which is understandable. They're trying to cram you know, a 20 episode season into a two hour film, basically, or an hour or 40 minutes only. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think the only way to do a live action Avatar, Last Airbender series, which I mean, now people are discovering it on Netflix. It is sort of developing that reputation that I, I had always longed for. And of nice course, yeah. I'm sort of the biggest Star Wars fan in the family. Um, so like I took especially well to Avatar Last Airbender uh, mythology, but like, uh, the reputation of it being sort of, uh, a true successor to Star Wars. Um, right. Uh, I, that's an interesting statement and I think probably quite accurate. Um, there, because by the time we saw Avatar, we had seen Star Wars, um the saga um and we had seen lord of the rings and we had seen harry potter and i sort of remember developing the idea around the time that i i couldn't comprehend what a new watershed franchise would look like Mm -hmm. because hunger games wasn't it um i mean hunger games is great but not watershed like in this it's maybe in a certain very specific genre Frozen is not watershed. It's the farthest thing from. I'm kind of joking. And no, uh, <laughs> you showed me a picture. Uh, but it was a watershed movie. That was a, was... Did you draw that? That was an incredible uh, drawing. <laughs> um, uh, watershed, I mean, budget in terms of like box office and yeah. Disney, uh, you know, but uh, doing something. Uh, anyway. Frozen 2 actually grossed more. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, no, of but course, of course it did. But I was uh, ultimately wanting to make the comparison to uh, Lord of the Rings too. Of course. Yeah. Yes. And the format in which they developed those films. The format in which, yeah, but you get into that. Then the, la- the last thing I'll say is that, so you have Lord of the Rings, which is this incredible movie trilogy. And I'm going, I want more of that. Is there going to, is there anything like that out there to find? And then there's this trilogy but it's a series. So it's just so many more hours. It's Lord of the Rings, but just more and longer and, mm-hmm. and equally as, in many ways, equally as brilliant. I, I don't know if I'd say Mike and Brian are like Tolkien. I mean, combined the whole cr- creative process 
Um, well, it's equal to the movies, by all means equal to the movies, and, but it's not, it's probably weird to compare a show's creative process to like a single author's literary develop achievements. But anyway, yeah, get into the mm -hmm. production process. Well, I mean, I only briefly like, it, it is rather rigorous and arduous, like what they attempted to pull off uh, when Peter Jackson developed the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And that was originally mm -hmm. pitched as a two film, I think back to back production, but then Warner Brothers, or Miramax. New Line, New, New Line, Line Cinema, uh, which uh, yeah, is uh, Warner. Yeah. yeah, I think back on a previous episode, I was like, yeah, Warner Brothers owns HBO, which is sort of, HBO is owned by AT&T, it's the same umbrella company uh, as Warner Brothers, Warner Media. Um, it's no longer referred to as Time Warner because uh, time is a non-entity at this point with the decline of print media. Ah. Um, <laughs> but anyways, all big conglomeration. Um, that's beside the point. Yeah, I think Warner Brothers essentially greenlit the, the uh, Lord of the Rings films directed by Peter Jackson. You know, they filmed in New Zealand, you know, partially to save co you know, on costs. And then that island just, you know, happened to be just the ideal location to really build this Middle Earth world. Um, and it, thankfully, they you know, decided to just make the three original like installments that you know, Tolkien envisioned. I don't know how those books were originally published, if it was one novel at a time. It was one novel at a time. Okay. He didn't mm -hmm. want to do, no, he did come around to wanting to do it. It was the titles that he had, the, the publishers yeah. picked titles that he didn't like. <laughs> I wasn't sure if it was like chapter by chapter in like installments or something and then compiled into these, because I know he didn't just publish the whole swath of right. Lord of the Rings at once, but- No, um, it was- it was yeah. uh, Fellowship and Two Towers and yep. Return of the King. Um, but yeah, but what, a, what a brilliant way to just tell this complete story. And, you know, that's not a very easy sell for a, a creator or a producer in Hollywood, of course, but- Especially um, at Nickelodeon, if you want to make the Avatar. Yeah, a children's property. Uh, you're dealing with kid actors. I mean, on one hand, you'd kind of avoid the problem of the characters aging too much if you did the truncated production cycle on three films. Uh, but it'd be a ton of work. Like, you'd have to just make sure there's plenty of downtime for the cast and crew. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know what they're planning on doing with this live action series. That's probably the ideal way to do things nowadays with the provenance of, or prominence of like um, you, the, the serialized uh, epic on streaming. Um, so uh, it, that, that is a complicated project. And especially with the recent news that the creators of the series, Brian and Mike, uh, had, um, had left the Netflix series in June, I think. Um, but but they recently posted about it on social media. Um, I've, yeah, I've, had, I've had their posts reported to me. I haven't read it myself. Were you wanting to get into that? Um, I haven't really read it myself. Uh, Brian was a bit more negative about the whole experience. Um, Mike was sort of, he, he was a little more even tempered about the whole thing, but like, it is unfortunate. It, it does free the two of them up now to maybe pursue uh, animation, um, but I, I guess 
live action is different beast. Um, you know, it's a children's property. So who knows what level of um, maturity that they want to really adopt for this adaptation on Netflix. I mean, they could make it as action focused as they wanted. Um, well, if you, if you, Philip, were going to make a live action Avatar The Last Airbender series and you're excited to get started mm-hmm. and then you sit down and you go, all right, here we go. Uh, the first thing I think I would just become aware of is like, all right, we've got people hurling rocks and water whips and fireballs at each other. And in the show, they're not dying. Like they're getting full and it's extremely fast paced. Some of the best animated action you'll find Mm -hmm. out there. Um, Converting that to live action. That must've been a huge hurdle that M. Night Shyamalan like thought about and his brain presumably collapsed during the process because he depicts a, a boulder about the size of a football traveling at approximately one mile per hour while six mm. earthbenders <laughs> are causing it to move. Um, so just a massive physics, he, the physics he altered completely for live action at what do you, how that's probably got to be the hardest thing about adapting this thing. Mm. What would you do or how would you see it? Yeah, I, th- I think um, you're wise to sort of nerf the, powers you know to make the powers a little less extreme than they are in the animated version because um live action you know it's just a less stylized context but the um you know the way that Shyamalan did it I don't think I don't think it needs to be diminished to that extreme um I think really you you should go for a ballpark pg-13 you know mm-hmm. just push it to the level of intensity that a P- pg-13 rating uh, can handle you know maybe tv-14 would be the rating on netflix because you're dealing with uh, very like the show it, it doesn't hold back from dealing with very intense subject matter um but uh, all the real like hardcore death and violence is is only alluded to. It's never explicitly shown, except for in just rare, very uh, rare exceptions. Um, and yeah, I I think uh, I don't know. That probably wasn't necessarily the main point of uh, di- disagreement between Brian and Mike. I'm, ass- I'm assuming not, but just on yeah. a, a practical filmmaking level. Mm-hmm. Like this is the center, like the core of the show. Well, I, it's, mm-hmm. a core of the show is mm-hmm. is the combat and how it's done with magic, and you know that would be really tough to transfer over to live action. I assume, yeah. but you know, who knows where the uh, creative yeah. is laid? And why is it so hard to just get on the same page about that? I mean, if you're, mm-hmm. did they just choose someone to make Avatar who had no interest in it? I mean, they chose mm. someone to do the movie who had a purportedly immense interest in it since he wrote the mm. foreword to the art book before the film was released. So that's pretty awkward if you, if you own the art book and you go back and read the foreword and hear <laughs> M. Night Shyamalan talk about how much he loves the, the, the show. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't... Uh, there could be any number of reasons for the creative differences. Mike reassured that it could be a great show or it could be a show that a lot of people enjoy. Um, but I don't know, maybe it won't be theirs. It won't be what they would have wanted. No, I guess not. Um, so I, unfortunately, this is going to lead to a lot of 
major skepticism towards the series once it airs unless Netflix is really able to get out in front of it. That's yeah. probably the biggest fallout from this. And um, I mean, I'm not necessarily, I, at first I was like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm not going to watch it then. But then I was like, well, wait, I mean, they created the original thing and it's brilliant and perfect, but you know, creator people who make a perfect and beautiful, brilliant thing, they're not always guaranteed to follow that up with more of the same. And maybe someone else doing something like, maybe it'll be good. Yeah. There's, there's that possibility that it, that it will be good. And I'm open yeah. to that. And well, they, I want to be optimistic. Yeah. Probably want to be regarded as like the George Lucas of Avatar last airbender, which is fair, but I, yeah, they don't, don't own know. the series. Um, it's owned by Viacom, Nickelodeon. Um, so it's just a little bit different dynamic. Uh, and yeah, just they probably, what ultimately probably happened was that they just kind of felt like they were, uh, <laughs> they were just another cook in the kitchen. Oh, One yeah. voice among many others and, and not the most senior voice. A glorified like, historical advisor like the museum expert hey so uh museum expert we're working on this uh period film you know tell me about how did the, what did the what did the swords look like well they would look like that ah, nah, nah forget that we're doing something else <laughs> yeah. they, they were relegated to like the pablo hidalgo role you know the keepers of the hologram holocron oh, or, uh, story yeah. story trust people <laughs> you yes. know do you suppose the first like season will have a little like Special thanks to Brian and Mike or consultants. They got to be credited as producers on the show, I would think, or at least a you know series created by or based on characters created by you know one of those. But whatever, their their uh, legacy and imprint will forever go on. And yeah, I mean, it's probably good that they're doing this in a series. Uh, like they are Netflix though. I don't know. They are in massive debt. Uh, hopefully they have enough money to pull this off. Um, I was see. not aware. Of this <laughs> debt. <laughs> like, I mean, are they really going to be able to envision a world that is really film caliber quality? Um, I don't know. This, this uh, fantasy world, it's, it's going to require massive effort to pull off. Uh, with you yeah. know, effects and animation um, if they want to make the action compelling. I mean, yeah. M. Night Shyamalan isn't known for knowing how to direct action to begin with. Um, and so a lot of that budget was just sort of on the post-production animation side of things. Uh, hopefully they're able to get in some good stunt teams and just really, you know, push the visuals uh stylistically with just the the amount of physical acting right um that you see on display anyways uh <laughs> so it's so, some some sour news on the avatar the last airbender front <laughs> i don't know uh, but yeah people are warming up to the series uh, all over the world and um We'll probably be seeing a lot more to do with this franchise going forward. I know uh, Paramount, Viacom, CBS now, um, they're, um, I don't know, partnered with CBS, or there's a, there was a merger 
So uh, they're, they're always looking for hits. You know, they have Star Trek as one of their main flagship franchises, but they're looking for others. And uh, Avatar, of course, uh, Transformers, I know, I think is one. Mm. Um, but yeah, Avatar The Last Airbender. We'll see, uh, are they going to be able to call it Avatar The Last Airbender? Let's just, uh, let's pull it up. Netflix, you mean? Or... On on Netflix, or, yeah. Any any Avatar properties going forward? Uh, are they going to be able to use that name in the title? Probably, because um, I I'm looking at the IMDb page for the live action series right now, um, and it's just this teaser image of uh, painted Bison and Aang, uh, you know, uh, yeah. painted Appa hovering over the ground like a cat bus uh and cat, uh, bus. <laughs> cat bus from oh, my neighbor totoro, totoro. Yeah. yeah yeah and wow everything is just unknown when it comes to this thing unknown seasons unknown release uh and the only credited individuals are brian and mike so hmm. i mean i kind of want them to leave it alone i i think that making a live action series adaptation is you know that could be a great that could be a great thing i it also does seem a little unnecessary overall and maybe we just don't yeah i mean ultimately uh, the the mythology kind of the um complexity of the series seemed a little diminished you know, for, for me, I, I mean, I, as much as I love the series and it's one of the greatest television programs to ever grace the small screen, in my opinion, um, it still, you know, could perhaps be developed and fleshed out in, in a bit more comprehensive fashion uh, if it were aimed a little bit more for broader audiences, and, you know, not confined to that TVY7 rating. Um, so I mean, it'd be perhaps cool. I I also do think the part of the magic and the brilliance of Avatar is how in the world they were able to tell such a, a deep and rich story and can and keep mm-hmm. it um, at Y seven. I guess is a good way of putting it. And that's and that used to not be unusual. I mean, with children's stories or, or books or, you know, mm-hmm. fairy tales were meant for children and they're dark and they're full of important themes. And, you know, you have like the Narnia stories or, um, and then uh, of course a million other titles escape me at the moment. So yeah. I, I love, I love the idea of being creative enough to continue to maintain that. Like this is a show for kids that we can mm-hmm. keep making, but I wouldn't ever be opposed to, a you know, I would have loved to see a few people, you know, mm-hmm. uh, people do die in Avatar, but you know, to like, oh, that guy got crunched with a rock and we know he's gone like that. I, that's just, but the show isn't lacking yeah. for not having that. It's a, it's an interesting thing. And no, yeah. the thing about the, like the world of Avatar, you use the word diminish and I guess, yeah, I do worry that. So we have this show, we have these three seasons and anything that were to be made about it or continue it, would just overdraw what's already there beyond beyond what i don't know just because your scientists mm. think that they they could doesn't necessarily mean that they should 
uh, it's in that, that glorious state where it is what it is. And then kind of what is beyond that is within your imagination. Like it's sort of, it's up, you have it now, like you kind of own it as a, as a viewer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's like, so it like, for instance, the, the final unresolved um, line with Zuko, you know what I'm talking about is like, yeah. that, that is unresolved. And then <laughs> everyone of course wants to know and then they made a comic series about it. And I don't remember that it was like bad or anything, but mm. like I kind of loved not knowing and wondering. Yeah. Um, I mean, just for the purpose of the broader audience that watches the show, it, it works nicely. Um, and, and yeah, just that universe to be contained within the confines of this animated world. And you, know, you don't really need to envision it in any more like realistic or lifelike fashion uh, for it to be more meaningful. Certainly I understand. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, you can, I, I'd hate to get down to the cynical side of, well, just <laughs> dollars and cents. You, you could have a gold mine here if you're, uh, if you go about it in the right way. That's despicable. Um, but you know, <laughs> it could well, be the, so next, they got a gold mine here. <laughs> the next game of thrones you know i mean people are hungry for that appointment viewing i've always known that i would have to face the fire lord but now i know i need to do it alone you brought this on yourself you know we could have returned together you could have been a hero I uh, know we talked about a video recently by someone that you know, who's a YouTuber and um, you're going to be working on one of his future projects. Um, The Mm -hmm. YouTuber by the name of Shadiversity. Um, He actually wrote a book, a fantasy novel, uh, which he's planning on turning into a series, I imagine, Shadow of the Conqueror. Mm -hmm. And, And you're going to be in the pilot uh, project really for adapting this uh, novel yes in, so onto the screen we did a kickstarter for his novel to turn it into a proof of concept short film um, which would hopefully evolve into either a feature-length film or a series mm-hmm. depending on how it's received and the kickstarter was successful so scheduled to shoot that in may very exciting I've gotten to meet and talk to Shadiversity and or Shad Brooks, the man. Shad Brooks. Uh, wonderful, wonderful fellow. And I'm a, I've been a fan of his channel for years. So very exciting to love a YouTuber. You know, he publishes a book and then audition for a project for him and then get to meet him. That's pretty. That doesn't happen every day. So, big deal. Big shot actor here. No, <laughs> and I mean that with all the sincerest uh, um What's, what's the word I'm, I'm looking for? Endearment. <laughs> so, uh, I, yeah, well, it's just so awesome that, unfortunately, with COVID, you're... Right. Uh, it was all very exciting, and yeah. the momentum was very high during the Kickstarter, <laughs> and I was talking to the producers a ton. I was talking to Shad, and then after it was successful, and we, we still had to delay. I mean, yeah. fortunately, we've got a ton more time to do all the awesome pre-production that's necessary, but 
I, as an actor, you know, it's like, wow, I, I guess I'm slated for this thing, but currently I'm just in my apartment and yeah. nothing's going on from, you know, but. Well, support Shadow the Conqueror. I will mention it a little bit more at the end tag of the show, but like uh, the Shad recently released a video on his YouTube channel, Shadowversity, uh, about the magic system of Avatar The Last Airbender. And he does this for a lot of different franchises series um either analyzing like the combat or the magical system yeah and, uh, he's know, got he, some really yeah. he's got some really awesome videos de uh defining and comparing and contrasting soft magic systems versus hard magic systems in fantasy and how not one is superior to the other but just understanding how they're different is helpful when you're you know mm -hmm when you're trying to analyze and, and we did kind of underline how the you know way in which the magic system of avatar is like flexible it's malleable and how like it could evolve over time in a civilization like the and one and we see it do from yeah. last airbender to korra mm -hmm. we see it do we see that it does <laughs> <laughs> doing talking doing anyway um but, yeah he, he i mean seemed to uh, uh, poke holes i i he wasn't harsh or anything towards the avatar magic system, but I think he seemed to prefer like a system that maybe had a few more hard, fast rules. Um, well, right. Well, his, so he said, all right, here's this magic system and it's based on the four elements, air, fire, earth, water. And he's like, well, we know that, you know, back in the day, they thought that those were the elements, but that's wrong the real elements are argon and xenon and boy and it's like oh any you know yes in our world in our history of the world that fundamental concept of the elements was i mean it's compelling and really interesting that people you know built that and it has a very mythical primal sort of um appeal to that idea and we know that that's not how to scientifically break down the simple substances of the world but continue i really just hope that people aren't too hard on him in the comments <laughs> no it's like I, he must have a pretty thick spine you know to oh he does you know, he yeah does. i mean he, and he dishes it out for a lot of different things and he knows how to take it and mm -hmm. um and it's and it's all just about like discussion and, and ideas yeah. and that's he's basically doing the neil degrasse tyson and <laughs> he gets a lot oh. of flack for you know doing the being kind of a buzzkill you know <laughs> when it comes to the scientific, you know, uh, overanalyzing of like entertainment and. Right, you know. right. And so it's, and so, and it, well, his points, it's, yeah. So it was a video that I enjoyed it. I, mm -hmm. I like his points. I think they're interesting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in the, in, in the world of Avatar The Last Airbender, there are spirits, there's a spirit world, there's a physical world. And you don't, I mean, element, I never, element is not meant to be, the word element isn't meant to be regarded the way we regard the elements of the periodic table yeah, scientifically it's like there are there are these there are these spiritual magical domains that fall under fire they fall under earth and water and air and they were gifted to humankind by the spirits and uh they have and then there's their it's a very it's all very spiritual and symbolic you know what the elements what they represent in terms of personality in terms of the physical world um, in terms of emotion, even. And that's what makes it all interesting. And, you know, Shad's magic. Someone had a really good comment. Um, Shad envisioned, he's like, what if there was a, you know, more scientific? So it's a magic that's, you know, solid 
liquid heat and gas so that you know someone the, the solid benders could bend the bones in a person's body and the li- you know the liquid benders could boil blood and everything and someone commented in the avatar universe the non-benders say unfair and in shad's universe the non-benders say help <laughs> yeah oh yeah i i mean the thing that prevents a waterbender from just being able to blood bend ad nauseum is i think attributed to like the sole force of will in the individual like like life form um, and, and that it's hard to kind of overcome that through telekinesis. Because, yes. you know, yeah, telekinesis is the use of our will, but to dominate another's will is a difficult thing to do. And it took the first bloodbender, I mean, years, if months, if not years, of confinement to practice and practice and practice and figure it out and see if she could. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I love that. Yeah. I just love it. <laughs> Exactly. There's like a rule where, you know, she could basically only do it during full moon. Uh, You know, I I think Katara, the the main uh, female protagonist of the series, uh, learns how to do this as well. She's a very powerful waterbender. And uh, I don't, I think we may see her do it, you know, when it's unconfirmed to be a full moon. But then in Legend of Korra, of course, there's a character who can bloodband without you know the full moon yeah it's just like constant evolution um just because of like the spirit the spiritual forces spiritual implications mm-hmm. of this power this kind of telekinetic power that lets people interact on some level with uh, with the material right and characters personal attunement to the elements attunement to technique and their developing mm-hmm. techniques i love that it just is so grounded that Katara, you know, I'm a waterbender technically. So here's some water and I try to move it and that's hard. And then she's okay, I can move it. And now I can throw this water around. And then later, and she gets better at that and better at that. And then someone, a wiser mentor who's just got age and has a lot more experience says, Katara, you know, you can, you can pull water out of the air. And it's yeah. like, well, I, had, I had no idea. Uh, <laughs> someone had to introduce that because it's not, and uh, what is visible to the eye and what's possible beyond what is visible to our immediate senses. Uh, you know, it's not like a theme. It's a theme that's only like occurring to me now is a, is a really cool and important part of the show. Yeah. Uh, well, it's, it's exactly like the force I feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even like these uh, elements, the four elements, they're very culturally based, which makes a lot of sense. Like typically only firebenders are born to other firebenders or earthbenders are born, born to other earthbenders or people within that culture. Right. Um, there's a, there's a lineage and I mean, lineage matters. And so yeah. um, matters. But uh, I could see like how if things in the future of that of universe, like become more homogenized and people intermingle and people intermingle you know, more right. and more like, you could see crossover to where it does just turn into a more generalized form of telekinesis like the force. Because that, that, right, as people, you know, move, as time goes by and human societies advance and they travel more and they do intermingle more. Um, and yeah, you would get to the point where you've got like, well, I have firebending ancestry and I have earthbending ancestry. And then this produces something new, something interesting. 
Well, yeah. sign it, sign it, and seal it. Uh, Star Wars prequel confirmed. Avatar: The Last Airbender might as well slap that <laughs> long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Oh, oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The Avatar universe is in the <laughs> or no at Airbenders the the bending the the Airbender world. Sorry, the Avatar world. Yeah, first they. Our bending has advanced us to the point that we have invented the warp drive. And then the Enterprise shows up. Hey, <laughs> benders, welcome to the Federation. Warp bending. Uh, warp bending. <laughs> oh, void bending, void. Uh, gravity bending. I mean, yeah. there's... Well, I like, it's kind of funny, Shad, like him coming up with uh, the four elements as an analog for like the states of matter, which makes a lot of sense. And that's something that I'd considered, like there are four discrete states of matter, solid, liquid, gas, and plasma. But then he, instead of plasma, uh, created like a, a fourth, just referred to it as temperature, I guess, maybe oh, yeah, energy. Uh, yeah, I don't really, right. is that, oh, yeah, is that based I, in anything? I, he did get into that. He said he got into the fundamental energies i think which was like magnetism and gravity oh that too and, and which i was glad gravity. yeah yeah the fundamental forces of nature the yeah fundamental there are forces i mean yes there are four of those as well but i don't think they line up quite as well to like the the four elements well it is funny that you know the primal idea of the main four elements you know it's mm -hmm. oh that you know it's ancient it's medieval it's whatever four elements water earth air fire and that now in modern times oh there there is the number four about like basic substances but it's yeah. solid liquid gas and and plasma yeah so i mean yeah plasma i guess fire technically isn't like the best way of describing plasma because plasma is like subatomic particles that don't have a home essentially protons neutrons electrons that are just free roaming um, I've never heard a description of what fire is that makes sense to me. Well, it's, <laughs> you know, it's like a hydro, you have the two things coming together. It's to a form, reaction. Correct. Yeah. And then yeah. there's a reaction and then it yields the two products. Uh, so it takes a hydrocarbon and oxygen, O2, hydrocarbons usually, you know, two parts hydrogen to one part each of carbon and oxygen. Uh, you merge the two and then you come out with um, CO2, carbon dioxide, and H2O, water, uh, as, your, as your end product. And like you never during that transaction do you have just free floating protons or neutrons or maybe some electrons, I guess, in like the energy burst. They're always probably get out. kicked out, but then they come back into their, their home molecules. Um, so that's kind of like, plasma but i think you could really bring in the whole plasma thing as an analog for fire bending by well for one thing electricity you know the lightning bending mm. or whatever they call it right. um and but also just the way firebenders interact with the molecules themselves uh it's 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 on a like a subatomic level rather than on a, a more material level with air and water and earth you get yes. you feel you follow me yeah yeah well that's why it, that's would you say that's this uh the um, in scientific terms what's going on why why firebenders are able they produce fire out of nothing whereas all the other benders are bound to 
you know, interacting with the element as it exists yeah. in the universe. They're the only summoners. Like they summon fire from nothing, which is so cool and makes them so unique and powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, Earthbenders have. Uh, and then it's, of course, the show's brilliant because they, they looked at, well, we've got these four elements. Holy cow, like the Earth is everywhere. The Earthbenders, I mean, and they're the biggest kingdom in the world because they literally can just, you know, use their power to build cities to, you know, their, the we- the weapons, their weapons are whatever is at their feet, yeah. at their hands. Um, Human, and humans fire. are naturally like tied to the ground. You know, mm-hmm. human means, it, 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 I mean, it's uh, etymologically related to like a Greek term for earth or whatever, humus, you know, yeah. means dirt. I had sort of thought maybe I found like an inconsistency in the Avatar universe, which was like, why don't the earthbenders just open up a hole into a mountain and then dig out a big, like a mountain hidey hole and then block it off. And then no firebending, no anything is going to be able to get inside it. And then if they need to get out, they just open up a tunnel. And it's like, well, for one thing, that is kind of what a mashu is. It's this mm-hmm. big city dug out of a mountain. And then also, and they do build massive walls. Uh, the bossing say is these earth made massive walls. And I think people just, they like to have houses, open air houses and cities. Like mm-hmm. I, I don't, they were, they're not dwarves. Like they don't want to just live under a mountain, you know? Um, so I was like, it, yeah, that makes sense. You know, maybe, um, maybe but, it leaves them a little more vulnerable than they technically could get away with, but it also is just believable. I don't know. I think uh, if you put on your tinfoil hat, Avatar Universe probably does have a secret hidden society of mole people. Oh, why? Waiting to arise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love their animals that they all have. Hold on. What's the, what's the waterbending animal? Uh, like their Is it main... The- they're Mask. like, yeah, their mascot, their sigil, their heraldic icon. Um, call that. Uh, there's, I mean, there's always multiple for each kingdom that I think are true. capable of wielding the bending. But yeah, but does Aang use the word be... original? Like the original Earthbenders oh. were the mole <clears throat> rat, were the moles, and the original dragons. The dragons were the original firebenders, and the That's original right. airbenders were the sky bison. So the original waterbenders were the moon. Was the moon, the moon spirit? So the koi fish, I guess, who represent the moon spirit. Hmm. Uh, the, there's the one is, fish. Yeah. They do call water the most spiritual element, don't they? Uh, or like air? Wouldn't, air, wouldn't that be air because of the the monk civilization? You'd think. Okay, did that? Maybe I'm totally getting that wrong. And air, you know, what, what, what's more fluid or like literally a spirit mm-hmm. than a vapor? I think, uh, yes. But, uh, you know, water, uh, water and air, I think, share that similarity because there is kind of a continuum. Uh, you know, fire too, like Shad was commenting on how fire and air bending should, should be kind of um, cumulative with each other, mm-hmm. uh, which, no, I, I mean, in, sure. in a certain point of view maybe but yeah the way i described it where it's like yeah fire is is about the energy and air is more about the kinetic force of a wind mm-hmm. um and yeah so which and so like an airbender could theoretically stifle a flame a firebender's flame just by blowing it out but yeah. there, it, there's this 
um, conflict of, of forces where the firebender is making out of the air this flame, this energy, and then the airbender is trying to diffuse exactly. that um, with yeah. their air energy. And depending on who's more skilled, you know, that's, you know, I, I wonder how, oh, and there were fewer airbenders than anyone else. And that's how they were, but they all have it. Like every airbender has bending, but there are fewer than any other yeah. nation. And that's sort of how they were able to get conquered, if I recall. Yeah, it's probably not good to like get into the debate on what element is the most spiritual, because you could probably make a case for each one. Right. True. Yeah. I I've, I thought I had remembered Aang saying something like, or in a waterbender, like it's the most spiritual element because or the most be peaceful or the most I don't know tranquil. Yeah. yeah. It it's uh, it's got healing properties. Um, yeah, maybe. I, I I don't know a lot of the dialogue verbatim. It's been a while since I saw the series. Um, I think there are even like commentaries for the series as well, which I haven't seen necessarily. Um, I don't know. I, I've seen it all the way through at least twice. I think most episodes I've seen three times. But um, yeah, it's... Uh, something that's definitely heavily ingrained in me because I, I went real kind of hardcore into the Avatar fandom mm. once upon a time. We did. Uh, yeah. You did, yeah. Right. <laughs> um, talking about bending. We kind of exhausted that subject, didn't we? A little we bit? could do a, a Dawson and Phillip top five Avatar episode uh, similarly to how our, our friends, our friends over at Red Letter Media did uh, top <laughs> Mike and Rich's top five, the next generation episodes. Friends by proximity, since we're both in Minnesota now and they're in Wisconsin. I know. Um, it's crazy <clears throat> knowing they're only six hours away. I did email. Them. Yeah, I, I emailed Red Letter Media my, uh, once and Mike responded. So He like, did? Yeah. What did you say? like a fan. It was just like a fan email. I was like, hey, uh, really appreciate your videos. And I think it had been a while since they had uploaded something. And so I was like, hey, good to see you guys back doing half in the bag or whatever. Because, um, you know, they, they have sort of gone through some dry spells, not for a while, but they yeah. don't always upload every single week. If they aren't, it's presumably because Plinkett is cooking something. <laughs> <laughs> um, Cook a gap some uh what did uh what did he say uh he's, he's like uh thank you for being a fan i mentioned to him that i i loved like the reviews even though i am a fan of the star wars prequels i just you know appreciate your humor and satire um and and the, the thought-provoking manner in which you know you present your ideas and yeah he, he responded he's like i love that you're a fan of the prequels you know he's totally cool you know that's he just, said that. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, I mean, because that's they're not coming from a position of superiority, which is, no. I think, why their humor works. A lot of people misinterpret it that way, but it it really is like pure satire, and it's not. Well, no, I mean, they genuinely do believe that the prequels are bad films. Yeah, no, that's their opinion, but like they're yeah. very sincere about their understanding essentially that that's an opinion and you can have a differing opinion yes yes mm -hmm. but yeah so anyways um well that's cool that he got back to you and and you know yeah i imagine you know an obscure reference yeah um and I, just I don't know. you know to appreciate a fan because like part of their whole shtick is like 
mm-hmm. they sound like they could care less if they have fans or not. But uh, we know that deep down they're very thankful. Yeah, their, I, fan, their fans are great. It's a great. It's easy, day. I guess, to um, just be turned off by something you disagree with. But when it's that level of like humor and quality for me, like I I'll totally buy in just because it, it's interesting to me. Oh yeah, I. I didn't, I, man, cog, well, I remember the first time I talked to a person in real life and I was like, oh, I love episodes, you know, one, two, and three. And he was like, are you crazy? They're terrible. And I'm like, well, that's a dumb thing to say. And I watched those videos and yeah, it's fun. It's fun to get introduced like, to that. But that was part of growing up because I, I didn't know there were people who looked at films that way. And that was like my first introduction to, uh, I mean, frankly, literary film criticism, but then also literary criticism. And it's an interesting world. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't mind a little bit of cognitive dissonance in my life. <laughs> Shall we no, say? well, you, you're not going to get away from it and trying to hide from it is pointless. And no. Just, yeah. And especially in something low stakes like films. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what it's all about, really. Creativity, art. It's meant to be subjective. Yeah. Um, life itself, as uh, is the title of the documentary, <laughs> uh about um chicago sun time robert roger ebert uh an mm. interesting title for a documentary about a movie critic but like sometimes you have to accept that life itself uh is going to have um a lot of subjectivity applied to it and you just can't get away from from the dissonance and sort of paradox that uh that is inherent in all of reality. Uh, if you read um, Richard, uh, um, not shoot, uh, Stephen, Stephen Hawking, uh, you know, his book on cosmology, uh, Brief History in Time, you know, it's just, it makes it very clear, like we are existing in a paradoxical world where scientists are still, you know, unable to reconcile, like, how gravity can coincide with uh, some of these other phenomena, uh, you know, relativity and such, um, subatomic particle interactions. It, you know, it's all, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, yeah, rel- <laughs> relativity itself you know, shows that, like, it, things often depend on a person's perspective. So not trying to get, not trying to wax to... Uh, you know scientific or pontificate too much but i just find it uh very intriguing you know science trying well yeah the the wide (laughs) world of the endless amount of subjects that take an endless amount of time to understand and no one single human has the capacity or the time to fully understand all of them if even one mm-hmm. of them at once i mean you could dedicate your entire life to being a geologist and yeah. then not know everything about geology yeah um so i'm just saying just, yeah basically uh, it's okay to be wrong it's okay to not know something <laughs> yeah because um, we we're wrong about something right now and we don't know more than we do know so it's why not you know just admit the fact that that's where you live and do your best all right um final uh, note uh, when final, i mentioned yeah. the phrase no bits pro ships uh and pe- people have no idea what we mean by that if they are unfamiliar with the notion of shipping so <laughs> i better oh. clarify that uh not that we'll labor on it but like uh, shipping is a horrifying concept speaking of subjectivity <laughs> that it's something that's big in the avatar fandom 
I just remember when I first heard, well, ship, like when I first heard shipping. We're shipping described. up to Boston. Um, and like, it just, it, part of my heart died because, you know, you watch a film or you read a book and you, and especially as far as romance, when romance is concerned in a story and just watching it happen, watching the characters and thinking for yourself, like, oh, I, that relationship, there's something about it I like, or maybe, maybe there was something there between these characters, but that didn't get pursued. And then, you know, maybe who would I, who would I like to be together? And you just think of it innocently to yourself. And then the internet goes shipping. I ship <laughs> Zuko and Qatar. It's like, why, why did you have to take something interesting and beautiful that we all sort out to ourselves and then put a dumb word just i love your enthusiasm it's ah. it's because people can't do the nuance no they can't <laughs> no they can't uh it's, and then it's what's the, this or that you can get with this or you can get with that <laughs> and the stan i don't know if you've heard this new stan word oh, like oh i love stan <laughs> oh my no uh. Awful. I mean, oh, I the original that. concept of it is kind of great, like from the Eminem song or whatever. Just like well, but, this crazy. <laughs> well, yeah. isn't it really sad? Isn't isn't the story that he was crazy and killed himself? It could be. I well, that's what that's what I had been told, and I do need to double check that. But if that's the case, it's like people, you should probably maybe not just be like, why does this? Why does that have to be the? Why can't you just describe your? I'm passionately a fan of this. No, I stand it. Ugh, it just, it's icky. It's, it's so yeah. weird. And again, subjectivity, that's me. That's well, just hyperbole. Yeah, hyperbole sells. Um, it's the loudest voice, the squeakiest wheel. It gets the grease, you know. So um, that's just kind of how fandom works. And celebrity culture, too. It's like And people, language evolves, I know. Uh, I get it. Yeah. But it's like, unfortunate that a person like friggin' you know Taylor Swift or whatever can't step outside her apartment without being mobbed by you know hordes of fans. Or I don't, maybe she can yeah. now because she's been in New York for I don't know how long. Or yeah, I don't know. She probably still owns her place in in New York. And well, it'd be a horrifying <laughs> to live in New York where you step outside your door and you're mobbed by hordes of passerby. Well, that's <laughs> the one place like where is... like people don't really care. That's sort of yeah. like the. Yeah etiquette in new because you never know if you're living next to like a broadway star or an actor or you know a celebrity because uh, there's so many people who live there who are in media and it's a closed confined space so it's like people it's are so easy to get lost in a crowd yeah, yeah yeah people know to keep their distance to you know mind their own business but even if you're if you're like a mega celebrity you still need security and stuff i, I think still wish i would have approached alden ehrenreich having lunch in la he said, <laughs> man i think you're just great like keep it up but i didn't that's we great. made eye contact a couple times he's with his buddies and i was like that's just yeah so so shipping is short for relationships uh fyi and so like when there's romantic chemistry between two characters or if there is the furthest thing especially from romantic chemistry between two characters you better believe that there is a ship for that and just google yourself some fan art and you'll find it yeah don't don't look up sonic the hedgehog on DeviantArt. whatever you do <laughs> oh no <laughs> um. i would never have thought of it but now you put it in my head um, <laughs> but anyways uh and i was like i was very emotionally invested in the right the relationship 
between uh, guests. Well, you know. Katara? Katara? No. no. Katara and Aang. And, yeah, oh. I, I was a total Cat Aang yeah. shipper. D- don't talk. Not, not like, <laughs> I didn't sorry. go on message boards, I no, don't think. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, it's just part of the, it's another aspect of the infinite number of ways the show is timeless and classic and brilliant and fits all and is just that, you know, we're, we're putting it on par with Star Wars and Lord of the Rings because the characters that they create and this journey they go on and the story that they all tell together and the romance that evolves, how it happens, it's just so well done. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, I mean, yeah, so like you can get to, the, they can, mm-hmm. you know, you can see, so then when Zuko and Katara, there's, there's obviously something there, but it's not something that is forced there. It's just, you see these characters and who they are and the way they talk to each mm-hmm. other, it's also organic and it also natural. And it's like, oh my gosh, like that makes sense. Like they're opening up to each other in these interesting ways. And yeah. They're both very attractive and they're on the same age. And yeah. but, well, of course, but you just, you know, it has to be Aang. <laughs> like, you know, it's going to be Aang and Katara. Like there's no other way, yeah. um, but it's funny. And, and it's interesting to entertain the idea of something different, especially when there are plenty of compelling reasons that it might work. Well, it's, it's such a powder keg too, when you've got these two relationships that are just at direct odds with each other you know the cat ang group and then the zutara group it's uh, that created for an exceptional just like inflammation online too when that was a big deal oh so people, perfect storm there very very one or the other aren't they mm-hmm. and of course <laughs> yeah with between like katara and zuko you just get like the raw sexual tension <laughs> of these characters who she's like, wearing her hot red costume <laughs> and he's wearing a hot red costume. Yeah. <laughs> All the girls who, who, you know, they want to be Katara and they want to be with Zuko. Uh, when but he then says, like, we're going to go get revenge on your dead mother together. Yeah. For <laughs> me, you know, I'm, I'm more interested in the narrative and like i probably identify more with ang as you know the protagonist who's a guy you know and he's kind of the underdog um and he's got this crush on a girl and so i you know that was totally but he my can't perspective. he can't get the girl at the end until <laughs> he does the quest like until you know he has to really earn it um and which i like yeah right and he, he has to he even has to go through the process of like letting go, you know, he has to fully process these feelings that he has for this infatuation, which if he didn't, you know, that could have led to a lot of like weird complications in that relationship, I feel. Yeah, you watch them go through it and many, like it comes up and it's handled in very realistic and believable ways. Like every time, every time it happens, Mm -hmm. I guess. And then, you know, so, and the Zuko and Katara, so, well, Aang and Katara have a friendship and they mm-hmm. build a friendship. And then out of that friendship comes love with Zuko and Katara. It's conflict and passion. And, you know, or if, <laughs> if they were to form a, a romance or relationship, it would be out of it. Well, you said it raw sexual tensions. It, yeah. It would be a little bit more uh, it's a superficial, I guess. Yeah. Um, um, and we see that in real life. So that's, mm-hmm. you know, the show, anything, anything that one could experience or see or relate to in real life, like it's, it's there in an mm-hmm. avatar. That's one. And, and again, umpteenth reason why it's incredible. Everything I needed to know about life. I learned from 
insert <laughs> name of uh franchise here <laughs> avatar yeah. the last airbender for sure i think um, i've probably said that same exact quote about frozen and of course we used to have a poster it's probably in a frame and stored somewhere this is like everything i learned about life i learned from star wars we did have that yeah i need to yeah it was full of quotes they were really good mm-hmm. um and i would always look at do or do not there is no try and i'd go really though really <laughs> i don't I don't like that. I, I know it's like, I know it's yeah. true, but I don't. Actually, here's the thing about that quote. It's just a great, uh, I, I'm, I'm not going to swear on this podcast. Swear, not square. I'm not going <laughs> to swear on this podcast. Uh, it's a great mind screw. Yes. And I think that's what people love about it. Oh, it's so good. So good. Uh, my wife just got home speaking of romance. All right. Um, and I, so I, we, but I think there's plenty more to talk about. I mean, we could do a couple Avatar episodes. And even if that built, like, if we had a, you know, today we talk about the bending, today we talk mm-hmm. about the characters, today we talk about the writing. I don't know, whatever. Um, I'd be interested in that um, mm-hmm. just because there's nothing, there's no show I, I enjoy talk, talking about more, probably. Um, Sweet. And, well, we'll, uh, we'll definitely re- My favorite episodes would be fun. Yeah, yeah, because it'll probably be a while before the first season of the show airs. So uh, we'll maybe be back before then to talk more Avatar. Uh, Avatar, on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what else do they do? They had a perfect one and a half minute exposition, expositional shot or scene that they could have just recreated verbatim, but instead they chose a- Soka. X block that made no sense to start the film. Sorry. Uh, I... right. The film is bad. Don't watch it. Like, it's not even bad as an adaptation. Like, it's bad as a film. Oh, and, you, you must watch. You must. You, you must. must. <laughs> and, uh, Jillian and I, we, the game we tried to play was drink every time there's something you hate. Um, yeah. And we stopped just uh, uh, five minutes in because there were too many things. I, and, there are some good I didn't I mean... have enough drink. Dev Patel is great. Zuko. Uh, he, well, his his introduction acting is real rocky. It's real yeah, awkward. But overall, he was a brilliant choice, and I think he does a wonderful job. Yeah, I love Dev mm-hmm. Patel, and he is a good Zuko. Um, and I, I remember sitting down to watch it, and I'm like, okay, I think one of the only things I liked about this was Dev Patel. But then, and the the director does the actors no favors. I mean, the, oh. he comes, he he walks, he runs in, he runs in, and then he's like. <laughs> My name is Prince Zuko. Bring uh, me your elderlies. Bring me your elderly. <laughs> bring me your elderly. <laughs> uh, oh. It's embarrassing and and fun. I gotta run. Okay, um, thanks, Dawson. Um, yeah, follow uh, Shadow of the Conqueror on the social medias. Um, he's gone. Au revoir. Oh, oh yeah. All right. Uh, yes, follow Thodcast. Thank you so much for listening. Listening. Uh, thodcast.com, uh, thodcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, Google Podcasts, all those various good stuff. Thank you so much, Dawson. You can follow him. Yeah, uh, what Instagram at Dawson Elke or no, no, Dawson, you've got a different Dawson Delano. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't really do social media much. But not that you can't get a hold of me that way. But um, mm-hmm. all right. Au Links revoir. in the show notes. <laughs> yes. All right. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, what do we Play say? Flamio Hotman. Flamio Hotman. Uh, warm hugs. Uh, have a magical day and a wonderful week. Bye.